Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, you can find your seats. The clock has turned red, which means it's my turn to talk now. Wow, that was incredible. Yeah, you know, it's so amazing to have a word from the Lord burning. I told Chris yesterday, I said, I have got to get this out of me. This has to come out. Yesterday was painful because it was that period between the word God's given you and the time that you get to give it, and it's like a baby that all the women who've birthed babies know that, that it's time to come out. (laughs) But getting up here to preach after the Holy Spirit just unleashed in worship is, is pretty cool. There's nothing like it. So Phil set us up so well last week um, when he talked about David the psalmist. Wasn't that an incredible message? So good. If you did not hear it, go listen to it on the podcast because it... It truly, I, I learned things I, had, I didn't know. It changed the way I thought about worship. But he set us up so well for today's characteristic of David. And I believe that we are entering in, we're at the start of a brand new season. A brand new season for this church. A brand new season for the church globally. A brand new season for this city. And the word that God has for us today is going to release something in all of us that will prepare us to walk in this brand new season. So Phil showed us last week how with David, God was preparing his people to receive Jesus to earth. See, his people, the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, had heard the stories, and they were accustomed to the idea that when David played his harp, evil spirits would flee. That alone is pretty fantastic to think about. Somebody sitting there playing the harp, and evil spirits are like, run away. And then when Jesus came to earth, he began casting out demons all over the place. It was like what he had for breakfast. You be gone and you be gone and you be gone. And while this astonished the people a little bit, like they were caught off guard, it began to wake them up to maybe what was going on. Matthew 12 tells us, a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak That's a deaf and dumb spirit. It's a strong man. It's a spirit that takes control. He was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so he could both speak and see. Listen, the crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of God? That's the son of David, the Messiah? Could this be the one from David's lineage that we've been waiting on? Keep in mind that David had been king of Israel a thousand years before Jesus came to earth. And at the time of Jesus' birth, the last king that they, the people of Israel, had had was over 500 years before that. They hadn't had a king in 500 years right right before King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and took them captive, took them into captivity. They hadn't had a king in that long. 
And so shortly after the period of captivity with Babylon, this is the time of Daniel in the lion's den. And this is the time of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the temple. Okay, this is the time period that happened right after their Babylonian captivity. Then the Bible just goes silent. And we don't have any text. There's nothing in here about what happened during those 400 years. The prophet Malachi, who's the very last book in the Old Testament, he prophesies about all these things that are going to happen. He prophesies about a coming Messiah, and then it just goes dark for 400 years. We do know, though, through other historical writings that there were highs and lows for the people of Israel. We know a little bit of what went on in the world at that time. We actually know a lot of what went on. We know that they were finally allowed under King Cyrus to go back to their cities, to their land, but they were not self-ruled. They were under a region of Persian rule. They were controlled and they had a king that was not, while he did many good things, uh, he was not a godly king. Then history goes on from there to tell us about all of these other dynasties that come and take over and take control. There's Alexander the Great. There's many others. And then finally, the Roman Empire, which we know a lot about. And the Roman Empire was in control and ruling at the time of Jesus. So the point is this. The Jewish people had been under oppression and without their own king for a very long time. We know that they were desperate for someone to step in and save them from tyrannical rule. And so it's no wonder they had King David on their mind. King David, he was the one that had established the nation and the kingdom of Israel, and they had conquered many of their enemies. And they had heard all of these stories passed down from generation to generation. So when they begin to see Jesus casting out demons, something clicked. Maybe, just maybe, this is the son of David we've been waiting on. Maybe this is the king that'll save us from all of this oppression. And that's what they were hoping for. Someone who would come and conquer all of those who had been mistreating them for so long. And they had all these prophecies ringing in their ears. All these things that had been passed down from many prophets from old. Don't make fun of my giant water bottle. (laughs) My family makes fun of it, and I don't care. You don't. Jules doesn't. Isaiah said this, Those who walk in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. Lord, you have multiplied the nation and given them overwhelming joy. That's what they were waiting on. They're ecstatic in your presence and rejoice like those who bring in a great harvest and those who divide up the spoils of victory. For you have broken the chains that have bound your people and lifted off the heavy bar across their shoulders, the rada the oppressor used against them. You have shattered all their bondage, just as you did when Midian's army was defeated. 
Every boot of marching troops and every uniform caked with blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. A child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders and his name will be the wonderful one, the extraordinary strategist, the mighty God, the father of eternity, the prince of peace. Great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The marvelous passion that the Lord Yahweh, commander of angels' armies, has for his people will ensure that it is finished. So they have this prophecy ringing in their ears. Little did they realize, though, that Jesus coming to earth that time was about him coming as a baby first and then becoming a lowly servant. But he was coming ready to conquer way more than tyrannical government and men. I think it's safe to say that they were expecting a king. They were expecting a warrior Someone like David who would rescue them from the oppression of their enemies, just as David had done a thousand years before. But before you go on thinking about King David as this cakewalk, that he just had this grand and glorious kingdom that was super easy to lead and came with no drama, let me fill you in a little bit. See, David was anointed as king as a young boy. He knew from the time he was very young that he was going to be the king of Israel. And he spent many years serving King Saul. Some of those were probably pleasant. Some of them were probably horrible. I'm pretty sure King Saul had some mental issues. Actually, he had demons that came on him. That's what his problem was. <laughs> And then David ends up going on the run from King Saul for many years. So his, his, his coming up to his kingship wasn't really that grand and glorious. But then Saul dies, and the King Saul's own army commander, Abner, he's like, David's not going to be king. I'm going to crown this guy over here, King Saul's son. I'm going to make him king, like he had the authority to do that. So David who's also crowned king over here, spends seven and a half years, his first seven and a half years as rightful king of Israel was spent competing against this guy who was a fake king. So there was this constant war and conflict until finally Abner concedes and the people finally all agree, okay, David's our king. So from that point on, King David goes and he takes the city of Jerusalem and he sets up a capital city. At the time, it was called the city of Zion and it was controlled by the Jebusites. But the reason that David chose this particular city is because it was centrally located in the kingdom and because it had super high walls that were really hard to get into. So it was a defensive city. It's interesting, though, because as soon as David does that, as soon as he takes Jerusalem, captures it, the Philistines, like, come out of the woodwork. When they hear that King David, who, if you remember, had slain their hero, Goliath, years before as a young boy, 
They hear King David, we're talking probably 10, 12, 15 years before that, David had killed Goliath. They hear about this and they're like, "Mm -mm, nope, we're going to go attack him. So they go and they attack Jerusalem. This is so interesting. Every time that David has somebody come against him, whether it be a nation or a person, he does one thing. He inquires of the Lord. He says, Lord, what should I do? Every time. I think some of us need to get in that habit of inquiring of the Lord, whether it's about a small thing or it's about a huge thing. Lord, how do I move forward in this? So the first time the Philistines come, the Lord tells them, go out and defeat them. Defeat the Philistines. And he does. Then they come back. They're like roaches. You know, they just keep coming back. So again, David inquires, and this is one, <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible because it's just wacky. It's just, you read it and you're like, what? This time God says to him, after a while, the Philistines returned and spread out across the valley of Rephim. And again, David asked the Lord, what do I do? The Lord says, do not attack them straight on. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear, this is the crazy part, when you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. Just imagine that. You're standing there waiting, and all of a sudden it sounds like an army is marching on top of the trees. I mean, is that crazy or what? You know what it was? The army of heaven marching on those trees. And you know what happened? The Philistines heard that sound and they got all confused. And David's army was able to conquer them and chase them far away into another land. It's a little wacky, right? So David has established this strong kingdom for his people. He's conquered lots of enemies. They've taken lots of land and territory. And he has served the people so well as a warrior and as a king. And the people knew all of these stories of King, mighty King David. And they knew the prophecies that had been spoken. But then a baby shows up on earth. And that baby grows into a man who goes to a cross and dies. I bet the people felt pretty disheartened. What? We were waiting on a king who was going to come and save us from all of this, and now it's just gotten worse. But stick with me for a moment. See, I think God was actually using David as a mighty king more for our benefit today. See, Jesus did not come the first time as a king. He is and was and always will be the king of kings. But when he came to earth, he did not come as a king. Look back at that prophecy from Isaiah with me for just a moment. responsibility of complete dominion 
will rest on his shoulders and his name will be the wonderful one, the extraordinary strategist, the mighty God, the father of eternity, the prince of peace, great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom. That's a throne here on earth to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. That particular part of the prophecy doesn't translate to what we saw when Jesus was here on earth the first time. Hear me. He is all of those things. But if you remember... There was not immeasurable peace and prosperity when Jesus was here the first time. He was not ruling on a throne. This is prophecy that is still to come when Jesus comes back to reign and rule on this earth as a king. Then there's this prophecy from Revelation 19. It's John. John um, God has given John this, this open vision into what is still to come. Then I saw heaven opened, and suddenly a white horse appeared. The name of the one riding it was Faithful and True, and with pure righteousness he judges and rides to battle. He wore many regal crowns, and his eyes were flashing like flames of fire. He had a secret name inscribed on him that's known only to himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title is called the Word of God. Following him on white horses were the armies of heaven, wearing white fine linen, pure and bright. A sharp sword came from his mouth with which to conquer the nations, and he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will trample out the wine in the winepress of the wrath of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he had inscribed a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, Jesus is coming back. It might be soon. I don't know when it is. The Bible tells us no man knows. But he's coming as a king. And he's not just coming as any king. He's coming as the king of all kings, the greatest king that there has ever been, times a billion. And I just have to think that the emphasis on David's life as a king and how God saw fit to make him a king was to remind us all of the family that we are in, the lineage that we have, and who it is that's coming back for us. See, God cares a lot about lineage. He highlights it for us again and again. We've talked about it here lots of times. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's a, he's a God of many generations. The Old Testament and the New Testament are full of genealogy. God cares about lineage. He anointed David as king and set him on an earthly throne as a representation of King Jesus who's coming back here to rule on a throne someday. So I think there's a lot more to the story of David than just a biography of a man who chased after God's heart. A man who made some pretty big mistakes but stayed true to the Lord. I think it's a reminder of who we are too. It's a reminder of our identity. See, we were once dead in sin. Nowhere to go. 
And then our identities changed. 1 Corinthians says, for you have been made pure, set apart in the anointed one, Jesus. And God has invited you to be his devoted and holy people. We were slaves to our sin. We could not rescue ourselves as hard as we've tried. You cannot rescue yourself. But the blood of Jesus can take all of that and rescue, and then we become heir to the king. Galatians 4, 7 says, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The problem with this is that I'm not sure a lot of us actually identify that way. There's a lot of talk these days about identity. How do you identify? The world is saying, identify with whatever makes you feel good. Be a man. Be a woman. Be both. Be a bird. Be an electrical appliance. Whatever makes you feel good, that is who you are. And as followers of Jesus, we cannot align with that. We cannot align with that because it's contradictory to what this book says. We know the truth. God made us man and woman. Two unique individuals made in one image, his image. And when we try to change who God made us to be, we're saying, mm, God, you don't know best. I actually know better than you. That is pride. And pride is a sin. It's putting ourselves above God. It's playing, it's playing God. And I want to speak to some that may be in here or some that may be listening on the podcast. And if that's you, if that's the, the thing that you're going through in your life right now, we love you. We love you so much. And we do care about how you feel. But your feelings can lie to you. Maybe you're feeling confused and unsure. I would love to talk with you. I would love to have a conversation with you face-to-face -face or on Instagram or however you reach out to me and just hear your story. Hear why you, why you are in the place right now where you're questioning who God made you to be, who he created you to be. See, Jesus created you exactly how he wants you. He is so specific. He created you the height that he wants you to be. He created you with the color hair that he wants you to have, with the size of feet that you have. He most definitely created you with the gender that he wanted you to have. And maybe you've just lost sight of the gifts and the talents that God has put in you. God gave those to you. He put them specifically in you for such a time as this to be used for his kingdom right here and right now. And maybe you just need someone to help you remember what those things are. 
And maybe the world has been really harsh to you. The world can be really harsh. And it's left you confused. The devil, who is the ruler of this world, still for a little while, he likes to work in confusion. And so maybe you're feeling like, if, if I change who I am, things will get better. But anything outside of God's design for you only leads to destruction. It might lead to some superficial good feelings for a moment, but the end is destruction. Maybe you had some parents who belittled you or physically harmed you, and you couldn't control it. And I'm really sorry about that. And this feels like something you can control. And that's why you've grabbed onto something that is opposite of God's design for you. I want you to know that you have a seat at the table, if this is you. You have a seat at the table to share your story. I don't want you to feel alone, but I want to point you to the truth that will set you free. And so while maybe not all of us can understand this or struggle with our gender identity, I think it's very true that many of us may be deceived of our true identity at times. We know that Jesus died for us, and we know that he saved us, but a lot of times we sure don't act like it. We talk as if we don't believe we have the power over the enemy. We act as if the weight of the world is just too much for us. And, uh, you know, the, the last, I don't know, I would say maybe three or four weeks, I've noticed something as we've all come into church. And I'm, I'm so, I love you all so much, and I'm, I'm so grateful for you. But I'm going to be real honest with you, okay? This is what happened. Hey, how are you doing this week? Oh, just the world is so heavy right now. I just... I just don't know. I just don't know how I can keep, keep going on like this. Okay. So next conversation. Hey, how are you doing? How was your week? Oh, man, the devil. He just, he's really coming at me a lot. I just can't, I can't even believe how, how much the devil's attacking me. More conversations went that route than a different route. And I think we are glorifying the work that the devil is doing in our lives. We're putting his work on full display by our reactions to hard things in our lives. We're making him king. We're making him famous. We're acting no different in our identity as those who don't claim to be sons and daughters of a king. There's no difference. What the world needs right now is for those of us who follow Jesus to be the hope of the world. They need us to act differently. But most of us don't. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. It's the same root, the root that is 
causing this war on our gender identities and the root that is causing us to question who our identity in Christ Jesus is. It's the same root. So before you go judging someone who thinks they're a dishwasher, check your own heart. Look in the mirror and say, what do I believe about my identity? I think it's accurate that for some of us, we have more of a poverty mentality, not a royalty mentality. We live like paupers instead of like royals. We live like our father is the beggar on the street corner and not the king of the entire universe. Now, I'm not talking about your spending habits. <laughs> Some of you could cut up your credit cards today and get real set free if you started living within your means. I'm talking about how you view yourself and how that affects your actions. Last weekend was our daughter Juliet's 12th birthday. And let me tell you, this girl, she's awesome. Because she knows without a shadow of a doubt that she is a daughter, not just of Chris and Heather Taves, like that's cool enough, <laughs> but that she is a daughter of the king. And when you say to her, Jules, what do you want to do for your birthday? She's like, well, on Thursday I want to do this, and on Friday we're going to do this, and on Saturday we're going to do this, and on Sunday we're going to do this, and on Monday we're going to do this. And I'm not exaggerating. We had five days of celebrating Juliet Holly's birthday. And it was awesome. And she wasn't doing it in a, in a way that you're like, oh, man, you're really full of yourself. She was doing it. She knows she was made in the image of God. And the day that Juliet Holly was born is a day that should be celebrated because she is a daughter of the king. And mama was real tired after those five days. <laughs> but one of the last events that she did on her birthday was she went to Crafted, which is right over here. Super cool place. Go check it out. Uh, we love our neighbors. And she and her daddy made this. She brought it home, and she didn't know what I was preaching on. And she goes, look, Mom, look what I made. And I don't remember your exact words, but it was something like, do you remember? I made this crown because, because I'm royalty. She had no idea what I was talking about. I think there's been an unbiblical narrative in the church and in Christian culture for a long time, and it's actually demonic. And it's this teaching on false humility. It isn't called that when they preach about it. Like, we're going to teach on false humility. <laughs> it's cloaked under being taught as meekness and humility. Let me be very clear. Meekness and humility are both incredible characteristics, and they're things that we all should have and exemplify in our lives. But it's been taught incorrectly, and it's led us to have a pauper mindset, a mindset where our confidence is destroyed, and we find ourselves lying awake at night and replaying all the things that are wrong with us. And we see ourselves as these people who are just way down here, unable to walk in confidence of who God created us to be when really we are heirs to the king of kings. See, if the devil can get you to forget that you are royal, 
He can keep you from using the power and authority that you have because you're royal. I used to think that I, I needed to become somebody. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I've shared a lot of this. I used to think that I needed to make a name for myself, that if I made a name for myself, then I would be, then I would have succeeded. I thought I had to become somebody important. The problem with that mindset is that I was trying to become someone when God had already given me the greatest identity I could ever become. Because I am royal. I am already important. I know, some of you are like, that's so cheesy. Maybe, but it's true. My son loves nice cars. Loves them. We can drive five minutes to go get Chick-fil-A, mm, waffle fries. Somebody bring me some right now. Yum. Darn it. Why do I always have the biggest craving for those things on Sundays? Because I can't have them. That's a message. <laughs> so my son is, loves nice cars. We'll be driving down the road and be like, look at that car. And he'll name it and look at that one. And I'm like, cool, buddy. Those are awesome. I have no idea what they mean, but that's awesome. And right now he's saving up to buy his dad's old beater truck. You've got enough, right? Almost. Yeah. Depends on how much dad charges you. Work on your negotiating skills. But he's not saving up to buy his dad's old beater truck because that's all he ever sees himself in. He's buying that because he's 15, and that's what a 15-year-old can afford. I guarantee you he sees himself in one of those super nice, really expensive cars. Right? It's not a very good car sound, sorry. You'd think, that, you'd think that after all the years of playing cars with you, I should have better car sounds. <clears throat> it's been a while. <laughs> and he should see himself in one of those nice, expensive cars. He doesn't have a pauper mindset. Don't leave here and think, oh, she's just, she's just uh, teaching us you know, that we should all just go out and have nice things. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's what you're hearing. Turn your hearing aids on. I want to look quickly at the life of Moses. I want to go way back before David for just a moment, okay? God's people had lived in Egypt up to this time. If you remember, Joseph had been sold as a slave into Egypt, and eventually all of his family came to Egypt and then they start having babies and more babies. It's kind of like this church, just babies coming out all the time. <laughs> and after a while, the tribe, the small tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had grown to over a million people. And the king of Egypt at, at that time, the Pharaoh, he was so intimidated by them. He was like, look at all these people that could easily overtake us. So he started ordering all of the baby boys that were born to be killed upon birth. Exodus 2. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. Aren't they all? 
and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you to nurse your own child. Where in the world has that been? Lord Anderson in the back. We got to figure that out, girl. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back. Can you even imagine that? Whew. Brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So Moses is raised for most of his life in the palace as a part of the royal family. But when he grows up, he starts to see the oppression of his people because they were slaves. They were being treated horribly. He knows something isn't right. He knows that he's a part of these people and they shouldn't be treated that way. But I think that God allowed Moses to be raised in Pharaoh's palace so he would learn to be a prince and not have a slave mentality. See, I wonder if he had grown up as a slave along with everyone else, he might not have been able to have been empowered to be used by God to free his Hebrew family. Being raised in the palace as a royal, he was the grandson of the king. It gave him the confidence that he needed that when God asked him to go do the most important work of his life, he was already in the right mindset. He had been raised knowing he was significant and that he was royal. And God used that mindset, that royal mindset that Moses had to help free his people. So how do we do that for ourselves? How do we get to that place where we have a royal mindset? How do we establish that for our kids and in our families? What am I saying? Should we all move to palaces? I mean, that would be cool, but not practical. I'm not talking about the homes we live in or the cars we drive or the shoes we wear or even the careers that we build. I'm talking about our identity. How do we see ourselves? It's no wonder there's a war, a cultural war on identity right now. See, if, if the enemy can get us to believe we're somebody different than who God created us to be. He can trample a lot of the work that God wants to do in and through you. In your marriages, in how you raise your children, in your careers, in your communities, in your churches, in your jobs, in your church, in your city. It affects every single part of your life. 
So how do we talk to ourselves? How do we talk to our kids? What truths are we speaking over them? Also, what curses are we speaking over them? And we don't even realize that we're setting them up for this poverty mentality. What comes out of your mouth and you don't even realize it's a word curse? Can you do anything right? Word curse falls on their shoulders. Why do you always dot, dot, dot? And your kid's like, oh, I guess that's who I am. And instead of instilling a royal identity in them, we're flipping it. We're using the devil's tactics to strip away the mindset that they are royal and that they are made in the image of God. Some of you maybe don't do this with your children, but you do it with yourself. Some of you think so lowly of yourself that if someone else had those thoughts about you and voiced them, you'd unfriend them. And you've unfriended yourself by the way you talk to yourself. One of the things that I knew I was going to preach on King David and God had given me such a powerful word. And then he reminded me of this book that I read um, several years ago. And so I picked it up and I started to read parts of it. It's by Chris Vallotton and Bill Johnson and it's called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. So if this is something that you feel like, yeah, I, I, I struggle with this, go read that book. It's really, really helpful. And some of the things that I've said in here are from that book. But one, one thing that just jumped out at me, Bill Johnson said this. He said, the devil keeps a record of your sins. The father does not. So the lies that you keep going back to about yourself are from the devil, which means you're partnering with the devil when you believe those lies. See, the father has forgotten them the moment that you ask forgiveness for them. But here's the truth. There's a war going on for our identities. And if the devil can keep us from truly acknowledging our royal identity, he'll keep us tied up and messed up and depressed and confused and tired. And we'll answer that question of how are you doing with, oh, the devil's just really been coming at me. Instead of, you know, it's been a hard week, but I know the king of kings and he has given me the power and the authority to overcome whatever it is that the devil throws my way. So I mentioned earlier that for years I had this burning desire to be someone, to be important, to be known, you know, write a best-selling book. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and because of work that I also did, because oftentimes it requires us taking steps all the time. It requires us taking steps also to partner with the Holy Spirit to do the things in our lives that need to be done. And because some very faithful people that are in my life whom I, whom I trust, their voices when they speak to me, a few years ago I was completely set free from that. It doesn't mean it might not come back again. See, the devil, he keeps a record, Right? So he's like, well, I got her over here once, <laughs> so I'm going to try that again. The, prop, the, the difference is that once you've overcome it, you recognize it a lot quicker. You'd be like, no, 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 no. I know what you're doing. Get out of here. But this past year, I experienced another battle that just smacked me upside the middle of the forehead. Didn't see it coming 
at all. You ever had those? We're like, wow, did not know that was going to happen. It was an all-out war against who I am, my identity. Not my gender. Let me be clear with that. That's how rumors get started. It was an all-out war against my confidence and who God has called me to be for his kingdom. See, one of the things I know for sure is that from my upbringing, my parents instilled, I don't know how they did it. I'm still trying to figure that out. They instilled so much confidence in me. I knew who I was. I knew the image that I was created in. I knew the gifts that God had given me, and I didn't question it. I remember early on in our marriage, Chris was like, where, how, how, what? I was like, I don't know. It was just in me. I just, I know who I am. I'm like, I'm not thrown off by it. I didn't deal with that insecurity. Chris often tells me too that it's one of the things that attracted him to me, which, cool. That's awesome. He said, I also saw it in your mom. You know, what's really cool is that my mom was my age that I am right now when Chris and I met. So Chris met a 42-year-old Melody and said, wow, that's the kind of woman. And I know she's going to be, her daughter's going to be that way because I see this in her. So what I got from my mom and from my parents was this like steel, iron, steel, bronze, all the metals, confidence of who I was. But this past year, the enemy is, you know, it's so funny because it's like, okay, I tried to get you with needing to be somebody. So he, tw- he switched his tactic and he went to maybe you're nobody. And I, I stand up here today and I, I know I probably seem like I have it all together, but let me tell you that I stand up here battle-worn and still reeling a little bit from fighting off the devil telling me that I am unqualified, that I am uneducated, that I can't do this call that he's put on me, and that I should just quit doing all the things that I do for the kingdom of God. And so I'm standing up here reminding myself today of who I am. And just this last week, I had some victory in this. I felt the chains and the weight that the enemy had tried to put on me those lies that he had spoken off of me, I felt some of them fall off. You know why? It's because I began to focus on the goodness of God, not the lies of the enemy. So I'm telling you, I'm standing up here today and I'm saying, it is time to shake off the pauper mentality. Stop seeing yourself down here. And start seeing yourself as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Maybe you can't see it yet, but maybe, just maybe, you can imagine it. You can imagine yourself driving the nice, expensive car. You can imagine yourself walking in the authority and the power that God has already put in you flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation, until you fully believe it. Maybe first you have to imagine it, but pretty soon you're going to fully believe it. 
that this, the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. This is our inheritance. And listen to what else we have coming. Revelation 22. I feel like this probably is going to make you stand up on your feet. I don't know. Just saying. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing with water, clear as crystal, continuously pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river was flowing in the middle of the street of the city, and on either sides of the river was the tree of life with its 12 kinds of ripe fruit according to each month of the year. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations, and every curse will be broken and no longer exist, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there in the city." His loving servants will serve him. They will always see his face and his name will be on his foreheads. He is speaking of what is coming to earth, what we all get to inherit. Night will be no more. They will never need the light of the sun or a lamp because the Lord God will shine on them. Listen to this. They will reign as kings forever and ever. God is asking us to take on this royal mindset. He is searching the world right now. I believe this with everything in my being. He is searching the world for those who are willing to have a shift in their mindset so he can use them to affect this dark and dying and lonely and desperate world whose only hope is Jesus. But it starts with you. It starts with you yourself. How do you identify as a son or a daughter of the king? And listen, getting there might take some work, okay? It might, it might mean you have to deal with some old thought patterns that you've had for a really long time. It's changing the way you think, changing the way you speak over yourself. But then that spills over into our families, and it changes how we speak over our families. Listen, affirming what your kids do is great, but affirming them and reminding them of who they are is best. This creates a royal mindset in our children. And that is what brings victory in the war on our kids' identities. Reminding them who they are made in the image of God. Telling them every single day that they are made in the image of God. So how do we become royal? We already are. We already are. Some of you, though, are waiting for other people to give you permission to be who God has already made you to be. You just step into it. You say, okay, Heather, that, great, I'm ready. I'm ready to be royal. What do I do? Well, there's a million things, and we would be here all day. But... I want to give you two very practical things. The first one is read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written by a man who was a king, by a man who grew up in a royal household, by a man who did not question his identity because he was born into a royal family. He knew his heritage and his legacy, and he wrote one of the best resources the world has ever seen. Forget all the self-help books. Throw them out the window. I'm serious. Read the book of Proverbs. You can start today. What is today? The 12th? Read Proverbs 12 today. Tomorrow, read Proverbs 13 today. And then don't just read it, but apply it. If you do that, it will change your life. 
it will change your life. The second thing is on January 5th, we're going to have a service called First. It's going to be a worship night. It's going to be a night where we bring um, our first before God at the first of the year. And we haven't talked about it yet. We haven't announced it, but I'm officially announcing it right now. (laughs) And one of the things the Lord showed me is that some of you need to get baptized. Some of you maybe were baptized before. Do you know there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't be baptized again? We have this like weird rule, like, well, I did that once. Some of you, though, are still living in the water as the dead man in the water. And you, at the start of this year, need to say, I am done with this old dead man mindset. I am going to come up out of that water and my mind is going to be renewed and changed. And I move forward as a new man, as a royal. So there aren't signups, but you can come on January 5th ready to get baptized. Some of you in here, that's your step. Would you stand on your feet? Father, you are the King of Kings. We stand in your presence in awe of who you are. We thank you that you have made us a new creation. You have given us this opportunity to walk in our royal identity. Help us not to squander that. Help us not to have a worldly mindset, but a heavenly mindset. Help us to take steps even today to remember that we were created in one image, your image. And when we chose Jesus, we were put into the line of a royal family. Help us to learn to walk in that, to be confident in that. And as we do that, we begin to affect the darkness in ways like this world has never seen before. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name.